What are the chances of becoming trapped in a controlling, abusive relationship? And what are the chances we don't know we are? One in four women will experience physical domestic abuse and the stats are probably higher for emotionally abusive and narcissistic relationships. This mum shares her own story of life with a narcissist, what narcissism really is and how to recognise it. Find out how this mum's own recovery from the long-term trauma caused by living with a narcissist has now led to her specialising in helping other victims and survivors of narcissistic abuse and trauma. Join me as I talk to the amazing Caroline Strawson. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So delighted to welcome today's guest, Caroline Strawson. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Nicola. It's a real honor to be here with you today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. The honor is all mine and I cannot wait to hear the bounce back story that you're going to share with our audience today. Let's dive straight in. I want to hand over. What's your story of facing tough times and being able to bounce back? Wow, it, it almost seems a bit of a distant memory in some respects and I kind of have to take myself back because I'm in such a different space now. But it didn't feel like I could ever be in a different space when I was going through mm. it. So, you know, about 10 years ago, really in the space of about 18 months, I had a lot of things happen. So my mum passed away really, really suddenly and she was kind of my best friend and my rock. So you can imagine my world was mm. pretty rocked with that. And then a year later, my husband walked out on me and my two children. And I, I didn't really realize what my marriage had been really up until I started to have therapy then, but I realized I'd been in, a, in an abusive marriage and I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. I was suffering with depression, anxiety, and I was self-harming. I was cutting the tops of my thighs actually with my toothpaste because I used to bite my nails. So I didn't even have any nails to do that. And it was a really, really low time in my life because when me and my husband split up as well, the culmination of all of the debt, which was actually just um, over 70,000 pounds, was really, really scary. Because you can imagine I was a single mum my mum had passed away, who was my rock. And my dad, although he's still alive, he's quite an unemotional man. And one of my sisters lives abroad. The other one lives um, a distance away from me. I've had two children totally reliant on me with all of this debt. And it was really, really scary. I was really financially reliant on, on my husband at the time. Um, I only worked very, very part-time. I was a podiatrist at the time, so I was running a clinic. And the money coming in did not equal the money that needed to go out. And it was a really, really scary time. And really, the thing that was unravelling for me was what my marriage had been like or not like as I thought it had been. And literally, as I was going through therapy and realizing all of this, um, I realized actually, and actually we'd had marriage counseling before we split up as well. And that particular 
counsellor had also done psychotherapy um, too and he had said to me um, google a narcissist and I was like narcissist that's just someone who loves themselves because that's really mm -hmm. all I knew about that term at that time and when I googled narcissistic personality disorder it was like light bulb after light bulb after light bulb it was like oh my goodness, this was my marriage. But the scary part of it is it actually said, get out, get out. If you're with this person, get out. But there was this caveat at the end, but it's really difficult if you have children. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, that's me. I have children and stuff. Because normally what you think when you go through a divorce, of course there can be some acrimony as well. But actually it escalates even more when you're dealing with a narcissist because it can become about control and manipulation and whatever I seem to do never seemed good enough. And actually he hardly saw the children. Again, that was his choice. And I was just left to deal with this debt, my you know, psychological and, and emotions that were, were happening and also two children totally reliant upon me as well. So, you know, pretty much every morning I remember I'd wake up, the kids would still be asleep. I'd make my way into um, my own suite. I'd sit on the bathroom floor and literally I'd either have a panic attack or I'd be, if I was lucky, managed to control having that panic attack because I felt so lonely. I felt so ashamed that my marriage had broken down. I had this big thing about this stigma of being this single mum. I was becoming all the things I never wanted to be. You know, I grew up with ladybird stories that were always happily ever after. And whilst I knew things weren't right in my marriage, I'd become a shell of myself. I hadn't even realised I was literally... Um, you know, there, it was almost like when I looked at photos, it was like the, the lights were on, but nobody was home, so to speak. I'd walk out my door smiling, makeup on, people would ask how I was, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, the usual, but inside, I just felt lost. I felt broken. I really, really felt at rock bottom. And that carried on for a number of years, you know, and as time progressed, I, I very much sat in my own pity party, I have to say, feeling very much um, a victim, very much blaming everybody else and everything else, still getting emails and texts and ongoing aggression and abuse from my ex-husband. And in 2013, in April 2013, um, I actually had my family home repossessed as well. So that was really, I would say, a catalyst for something to change because I hit 40 in the June of that year as well. And I actually remember thinking, Caroline, I've got two avenues to go down here. One, I can carry on with what I'm doing. Sitting in this blame game of everybody else, pointing fingers, feeling angry, feeling emotional, feeling rubbish. <laughs> or I could actually think, you know what? Is there another way? Maybe I need to rescue myself because I'll be honest, I sat there for a while, really almost imagining I'm such a, a romantic at heart. So I sat there almost thinking, where's my knight in shining armor who's going to charge in and scoop me up and rescue me? And I'd kind of started a bit of online dating and that was a real eye opener. And I thought, oh my goodness, there isn't anyone coming to rescue me. What am I going to do? And then I was like, Caroline, rescue yourself, you know, do it yourself. And I suppose that's exactly what I did. So in the October of 2013, 
Um, I started a network marketing business at the time, not even knowing it was a network marketing business, not even knowing what it was, just because I needed to earn a few hundred pounds extra a month because I had no money. And my business very quickly grew. You know, within 12 months, I was earning a six figure income within that business. And I totally used Facebook to build my business, learn how to use Facebook. Um, because I was suffering very badly with anxiety and I, and I know absolutely had I not got my children I would have been completely agoraphobic I wouldn't have gone outside of the house so for me Facebook was a really non-threatening way for me to be able to build my business but in the safety of my own home because that's really where the only place I felt safe and um, as I built my business, I was qualifying for free holidays, getting checks. And, you know, I was, you know, one of the top business builders in the company in the UK. And whilst I loved doing that and helping people, what I realized as I was building that business was I loved actually helping people facilitate change within their lives. So I started to retrain because um, my background was in, obviously in the medical profession. So I started to retrain and started to take various qualifications so over really the last sort of four years of, of now building up my own therapy and coaching business, I initially started off doing an accreditation in divorce and breakup coaching. But what I realized with that was a lot of people were coming to me from a narcissistically abusive relationship trauma which narcissistic abuse is it is trauma i think a lot of people mm -hmm. misunderstand trauma trauma is just overwhelmed to your system it doesn't have to be a car crash or a soldier out in afghanistan it's actual just overwhelmed to your system so i started to get a bit of an obsession really with trauma to be honest specializing obviously in that narcissistic abuse because that's obviously with my own personal story but really this deep fascination about what happens in the brain and the body when we're feeling and going through all of these things so really it was a, a journey of my own self-healing thinking you know what do I need what bits am I missing to move to the next level of my own life so you know I'm just even now in the final part of my master's for applied positive psychology and coaching psychology so there's a lot of positive psychology I bring into my business because I'm a real really passionate about post-traumatic growth so it's a phenomenon in positive psychology that we call you know really next level living higher level living because of the trauma you went through so you know I know where I am today I would not be here and living a more connected joyful life had I not been through all of that trauma. So also qualified in something called rapid transformational therapy. So that's a combination of hypnotherapy, NLP, CBT and psychotherapy. So we're really upgrading those subconscious beliefs because I had a deeply ingrained subconscious belief of not being good enough. And that's actually what led me to even being in my, my marriage with a narcissist. So really that my marriage highlighted all the inner child wounds that were already there but obviously he shone a great big spotlight on those and they were bleeding very profusely, obviously, when I came out of that. I also use um, two techniques um, in my business, which are really revolutionary and really, really shifted changes. So much deep change for people. One is called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that uses bilateral stimulation really to process stuck trauma in the body because so often when we're in the present moment we might see someone speak to somebody get an email off someone and all of a sudden we feel something in our body and emdr really helps clear that for you it helps you able to think about any past events without all of 
that what we call somatic memory in the body. And then recently I've just qualified in something called brain spotting. So brain spotting is, wow, I don't even know where to begin with that because the <laughs> sessions I've done with my clients, whoa, they are deep. And, you know, my last session with a client was somebody who um, was, oh, she'd, she'd had a, a very abusive childhood and was still bulimic as well, throwing up three, four times a day one brain spotting session she's got she's got a various amount with me but after one brain spotting session she's now gone down to being sick just once every four or five days now so again that that change with that and i also bring a lot of parts therapy into what i do so the parts therapy i use is something called internal family system so we all have different parts of us just like you and i you know we're a mum, um we are um an ex-wife we are um um, you know a daughter sister friend entrepreneur we all have those different parts but there are parts of us that can seem quite dysfunctional like self-sabotage procrastination anxiety dissociation emotional eating but actually they're parts of us protecting an inner wound so I do a lot of parts work with my clients and often do EMDR and brain spotting on those parts as well healing the wound talking to the parts, you know, giving them a different role. So that really, again, bringing back to that positive psychology aspect, people can heal the past, can't change it, but we can certainly start from a different platform and then move forward and have an even better life, really because of the trauma that you have been through. And that took me a long time, really, over the last 10 years, really, of learning, growing, trying things that didn't work, trying things that did work, incorporating my own way of doing all of these things, really because I don't really want anyone to be where I was for as long as I was. And, you know, we were talking about this even before we came on, on air, that hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel because for so long, Nicola, I felt like I was in this dark tunnel and there was no light anywhere. Mm. And it felt lonely and dark and chaotic. And, and I kept thinking, is this it? Is this what life is all about? Is, you know, uh, is it downhill from now on? And it's such a, you know, I just, for anybody feeling like that, I'm so passionate about really being the light switch for them and really helping them understand that it doesn't need to define you actually it can be the biggest blessing in some respects because it can really turn everything around for you what an incredible incredible story and the the message and and the term that jumps out for me you were the first person i heard say this i remember seeing a post where you put it out i love that post-traumatic growth I think that is amazing because um you know my my personal story is after my divorce a lot of what you've just shared resonates because I went on the dating scene you know and found myself in I think I was very vulnerable uh, you know I hadn't healed from the end of my marriage and I think when we go into relationships unhealed or vulnerable we attract the the wrong kind of uh, people and I have experienced being trapped in and proud to say escape from because it does take a lot a narcissistic uh, highly toxic relationship and they're very hard to describe unless you've been in one aren't they they're very very coercive and it whittles away who we are from the inside so to even contemplate when you're in that space of no light at the end of the tunnel and you 
it does feel so dark and hopeless some days to actually conceiving not only will there be light at the end of the tunnel not only will you come through this not only even if you can't change the past you will heal from it and you will grow and life will be even more amazing and I've been through that process too I'm there it does happen but I know that is such an amazing message to share and hear for for people who are stuck in the thick of darkness yeah absolutely it it can seem such a lonely place and I think from a trauma perspective as well so a lot of the work I do with my clients as well Nicola is around psych education because I think there's so much shame and judgment in our society today that people think that you know if you have a um, you know, mother, father, ex-partner, but you're still talking about it or you feel like you're not moving on from those kinds of relationships, that in some way that person is weak, that in some way, oh, you know, just ignore them or just move on or, and, and trauma doesn't work like that. And this is why, you know, we can be such a beautiful society coming together with love and kindness, but equally there's, a, there's an other end to that, that we can put a lot of shame and victim blaming on people where people are stuck and we kind of think well if that was me I'd do it like this or I'd Mm. move on or this and that and from a trauma perspective you know the brain's number one job is actually to protect us and move away from pain and you know when we talk about trauma responses we have fight flight and freeze but when we're also talking about that abuse we've also got a, a fourth trauma response called fawn or appease because sometimes when you're in that abusive relationship whether you be a child or an adult in a toxic relationship very often we go we tend to be in freeze so we're kind of going into ourselves and also fawn and appease because if we appease the abuser then maybe the abuse won't be so bad and again that's not you being weak just like somebody who feels like they don't want to get out of bed in the morning and not see or speak to anybody I've been there that's not you being weak that's actually your brain saying you know what right now all I'm helping you focus on is survival so you won't have any energy because we're not mobilizing any of that energy around your body we're just going to focus on survival so all I'm going to do is focus on your brain right now and keeping that going and your heart rate and everything else everything else doesn't matter not bothered about your immune system I'm not bothered about anything else we're just in survival mode and when you're in survival mode that doesn't mean you've given up it doesn't mean you are weak it just means your brain is saying that's where you need to be right now to feel safer because it's all about safety you know and and then when we've got that anxiety so we're really edgy and we feel like this because anxiety is a sympathetic trauma response so that's in our fight and flight aspect of those trauma responses so which is what anxiety is again it's all around our perception of what danger is and very often the people i work with there is no danger actual danger around them but they're still living the majority of their lives in trauma responses fight flight and freeze because their perception is there is danger and that perception often comes down to those negative subconscious beliefs of i'm not good enough i'm unlovable i'm not worthy and every time then someone behaves in a certain way that triggers that that is danger to them because it's taking them back to a time in their past 
where they felt like it was very deep pain. And of course the brain's number one job is <gasps> get you away from that. So we go down and we go into those trauma responses to try and protect ourselves. But it's really understanding where was that initial wound formed often in childhood. And that doesn't mean you've had a bad childhood even. A lot of people think, well, I've had a good childhood. That's what I thought. I thought I had a great childhood. I still think I had a great childhood. However, my father was very unemotional. And, you know, I'd be doing little gymnastics in the lounge and he'd kind of grade me on 9.99 recurring. So of course I'd be like, right, I'll do it again. And then little things like when I get my reports, I'd be waiting for my dad to go, wow, Caroline, well done. And it never came. And so I'd try harder and be a perfectionist and a high achiever and do this and achieve that. And it never came. So for me, my interpretation of that was as a child, I'm not good enough. But of course, as an adult, I know I'm good enough cognitively, but every time someone would trigger me about not feeling good enough, I'd feel it in my body because yeah. trauma is a mind and body experience. And now I recognize it was only my dad's capabilities. It wasn't me. That was just my dad doing the best he could, but actually he's not capable of showing me what I, I really needed as that child. Uh, and I love what you were saying there about um, trauma and feeling it. And yeah. I, I want to I discuss this with you because obviously you're big into trauma. It's a big part of the work that you do in the way that you, you help others. And it, it wasn't really until about five or six years ago that um, I think it started with coming across a book called Waking the Tiger. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, I love that book. I love yeah. that book. And, and explaining how when we go through trauma and it, that doesn't have to be, you know, uh, being in a plane crash, you know, a huge incident, especially if we're sensitive, empathetic people, seemingly small things to other people, particularly uh, as well if we're children can, can have a traumatic effect on us. But trauma is stored in our body energetically so we can't we can't kind of read or talk ourselves out of trauma afterwards and and so it's these these modalities that you were touching on earlier are so important for people to be aware of because i think often people will feel the symptoms of trauma and go see a counselor and go to very classical talk therapies without that that expert necessarily be understanding the nature of trauma and knowing that that person needs something different to unlock the trauma energetically. What, what are your. Right. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, things like CBT counseling, you know, even just regular psychotherapy, psychiatry, you know, I've got clients who are psychiatrists, um, psychologists, all of that, because they don't get taught any of this when they go to med school, for instance, they just don't get taught it. And actually, just as you say, you know, trauma gets stored and it gets stuck in our body. You know, something like PTSD, complex PTSD, that's an information processing disorder. We, it gets stuck in our body. And from those different aspects of our brain, you know, the front part of our brain, what we call the prefrontal cortex, which is our rational, logical 10% aspect of our brain, that's what kicks in when we're in talking therapy and it might work to a point. So you go and see someone and you talk to somebody, you're going to probably feel a little bit better potentially because you're getting that relationship 
validation, so to speak. Someone's listening to you and you may not have had that. So that's going to make you feel good. However, talking, just talking about the trauma can actually re-traumatize you as well because mm. you just keep going in this loop and you might go, you might be somebody who keeps going to counseling sessions or um, you know, CBT sessions. And when you come away, you can sometimes feel worse because your brain is almost like you're reliving that trauma again. It's taking you back to when it was happening for you. So to really, really heal trauma, we've really got to access the part of the brain where actual trauma is processed. And that's going back into the limbic system, into the brainstem and using those types of therapies like EMDR and brain spotting um, so that we can actually really process all of that and allow really the hippocampus, which is our memory center in our emotional part of the brain, in our limbic system, to timestamp those memories into the past. Because very often, just as you say, it's stored in our body like it's still a live memory. It's like we're still, when we get that trigger, back in that event, feeling the way we did as it was happening to us. And, and of course it isn't. And however much you keep saying to yourself, I'm safe now, I'm good enough now and everything, it still doesn't work because in that part of the brain, it's still very live. The hippocampus hasn't timestamped it into the past. Once we can get that hippocampus, that long-term memory center to timestamp it, you won't feel those sensations the way that you did because it won't be sending a message to your amygdala, which is your fear center, to your nervous system, go into fight, flight or freeze, because it will recognize that it's in the past and you are now safe today. And it's life-changing. Incredible. Incredible. And I, I want to come back to, you know, there's several strands and layers, aren't there, to your, your bounce back story that you've shared. And you, you went through so much on so many different levels. And the, the layer I want to come back to is this one around narcissism and narcissistic abuse for two reasons. One, because it's the, it's the, at the heart of the, the work that you do and, and how you help women achieve this post-traumatic growth afterwards, which I, I love. And also because I've experienced it personally and as a result have start, you know, I have women that gravitate towards me. They hear about what I've been through and they, they want to talk. And I've seen statistics about one in four women actually not gender specific, one in four people will experience a physically abusive relationship at some point in their life. Um, but in this particular article, it was talking about actually the emotionally abusive relationships, the percentage is much higher because we don't end up in A&E with, with tangible, physical, uh, visible wounds. And yet the trauma from emotional abuse, and again, I'm not talking like Chinese water torture, the drip, drip, drip of emotional abuse. It can be just as traumatic. And what struck me is how, because it's so coercive and there's this whole gaslighting thing that, that goes on, and perhaps you'll explain a bit more about this, it's very hard to recognize. And I want to use today's conversation because it's, it's what we're talking about. And this platform to help raise awareness and understanding. There might be listeners who are in an unhappy, controlling relationship that might just be that, but it might be more. And I'd love to hear from you. What, what are the signs that people need to be aware of that actually this is more this? Because narcissism is a, 
it's a disorder, a personality disorder. It isn't going to go away. It isn't going to be fixable and it can destroy the victims. What can you share in today's conversation so we can help raise awareness so our audience can either pick up on things for them or perhaps they've got visibility of something going on in somebody else's relationship that understanding how to handle that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we overuse the word narcissist in our society, really, you know, everybody's ex is a narcissist now. Mm. And sadly that really does damage to those true victims of narcissistic abuse because it really is abuse. It is trauma. And, and again, if we're all calling our ex partners, narcissists, and then you see somebody getting on with their life and looking like absolutely nothing happened and you're left it, you know, curled up in a corner, that actually compounds already what you're feeling about yourself, not feeling good enough because you think, oh, I'm useless because look at them, their ex was a narcissist, they're all right, look at me, what's wrong with me? And it just compounds that. So, so again, I think the education around actually what a narcissist is, and you're absolutely right, you know, there's a difference between narcissistic traits and narcissistic personality disorder. We all actually have some narcissistic traits in us anyway, but to be actually diagnosed as a narcissist, as in narcissistic personality disorder, there's a manual in America called the DSM, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual, and it's what the American Psychological Association used to diagnose uh, mental health disorders, and a narcissistic personality disorder is in that. And there are nine traits that are listed, you know, the usual things like grandiosity uh, and things like this, and to be diagnosed, you have to have five of those nine traits. So again, it is on a spectrum. You could have somebody who has five and you can have someone who has nine. Now the problem with narcissistic personality disorder and diagnosis is it takes someone to recognize they may have something wrong with them to go and get the diagnosis. Now a narcissist will never ever do this because they are always projecting externally and it's everybody else's fault. You know, it's never about them. It's always about somebody else. So really diagnosis wise, it's very difficult to get that. They're never going to self-elect. They're never going to go, honey, I think I might have a problem. (laughs) I mean, I I get loads of messages a day where they will, you know, they'll say, oh, this happened. You know, maybe maybe I'm the narcissist. I'm starting to question myself if I'm the narcissist. And I said, well, by nature of you asking me if you're the narcissist, I know you're not a narcissist. (laughs) There's no narcissist would ever say, hey, do you think? they just wouldn't do that so you know as a starting point there are clinical diagnosis that you can get but again that so rarely um, happens and I think again for the listeners it's not even necessarily about them it's about what you are feeling a really good gauge and I always say this um, you know just as a starting point so forget the nine traits in the kind of DSM as such. There's two key things that I would suggest people to think about right now. One is empathy. So a narcissist will have no empathy. They might be able to fake it on some occasions to get what they want, to get some supply. We call it narcissistic supply, but you will start to see the mask slip at some stage. And the other thing is to think about maybe the person you may think is a narcissist in your life Imagine if you were sitting on your lounge floor in the middle and you were telling them that you had cancer or some kind of really, really serious illness or disease. How would they react to you when they were on their own with you? 
And how would they react with you if your family were there or friends were there? Now, this actually happened to me. You know, I had a time where I was really, really poorly. And I remember saying to my husband at the time, you know, we've got our children. And, you know, for me to ask for help, I've had to be on my deathbed, literally. And, um, and I really didn't think I'd be able to look after the children with how poorly I was. And I needed him to really to stay at home. And it was like I was asking him to climb Mount Everest and then go to the moon. You know, it wasn't his wife that was clearly very, very poorly, um, just asking for some support with our children. But of course, you know, it was it was almost like it, as he was watching. I remember it like yesterday. I was crying literally on the lounge floor. And it was like he, as he was looking at me, it was almost like he was watching paint dry. There was no empathy, there was no emotion. And yet, when my family were around, when my mum and dad were around, the demeanor was completely different. It was like super husband. Of course, I'll look after you, I'll do this. And I even remember occasions when sometimes I'd got my girlfriends around and he'd get the hoover out even and start hoovering. And of course my friends would be like, oh, he's such an amazing husband and everything. So everything was about the facade of how they looked to other people. So just really take a moment for those listening in. How is your mother, father, partner, friend, colleague at work even how are they behaving to you on your own and how are they behaving to other people this also makes it more challenging because of course how they are with you can be very very different so when the relationship breaks down and you start to try and tell people what they may be like they're gonna think oh hold on they seem really nice you know i'm sure anybody listening if you met my husband you think what a charming man because of course that's what he comes across as. But in private, behind closed doors, the manipulation, and you touched upon a word there, gaslighting. You know, I had a huge amount of gaslighting and I've not really heard of gaslighting again up until I came out of my relationship. So really gaslighting is really you starting to question yourself. Am I the crazy one? You know, I had an incident, um, with my ex-husband where he was eight, he was cabin crew for an airline and he was eight hours late home coming back from a trip and there was nothing, he sent me no messages, no nothing. So you can imagine as a wife, I was getting really, really concerned. I called the airline, they told me there were no incidences on the flight, there was nothing at all. Eventually about eight hours later, I get this frantic phone call off him and I was like, where are you? I'd even called the police and the ambulance service to see if there'd been a car accident because you know, I just heard nothing. And no word of a lie, on the phone he goes, oh, I just need to get home, I think I've killed somebody. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know, what? And he goes, I'll tell you about it when we get home. And when he got home, he proceeded to tell me this story about this woman who'd got off the airplane, she tripped, she'd fallen, he had to perform CPR. So again, many years ago, I worked for the airline, that's actually where I met him, because I love traveling, and also having a medical background. So I was asking him all of these questions. I was like, where are the paramedics? Where were the crew? Where were this? Where were that? You know, because I knew all the procedures. And then he was like, oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, oh, no, 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 I, I, I'm in shock. I'm in shock like this. So of course, I've got my husband looking me in the eye, telling me this story, 
this way out story but my gut was going well that doesn't make sense because i know the paramedics would be there i know this i know that and i spent the next few days while he was at home going you really must call the airline when you get or speak to them when you get back because they told me there was nothing that had happened and everything so he goes into work he calls me up and again there's no word of a lie he calls me up from work and he said you'll never guess what she lived and she's so grateful that I've saved her life. And, and again, my gut was screaming, Caroline, what a crock of SHIT. But this was my husband telling me that. And my thought was like, who would make this up? Who would make this story up? It was almost like so unbelievable. Was it believable? And he was my husband, but my gut was screaming. So again, classic gaslighting there me questioning myself um, um, uh, you know am i crazy for thinking he's lying maybe it is true and i'm just there left wondering what's happening so you know that's one of just one of the gaslighting things that that my ex-husband and i went through um, as such as well and i know it isn't true now I, I and i knew it wasn't then really but again when you're in that abusive relationship you actually have physiological changes that happen in your brain they can go back but there are changes that happen so again you, you just start to lose yourself you start to lose trust in your own ability to make decisions to know what's reality and what isn't mm. and you you also said something interesting about how uh because of this pillar of society perfect person facade that goes on when the relationship begins to break down or if you reach out to other people they may not believe you that's if there are people to reach out to because one of the other strategies is about you know isolating the victim driving a wedge between them and everybody on the outside There's, um it, it it just struck me that we're actually quite fortunate if we've still got a lot of people around us left to reach out to so so it got me thinking if there are if there's anybody listening and quite rightly you've listed all the different sorts of relationships that this dynamic can show up in it's not just about our romantic partner boyfriend girlfriend partner husband wife because it's not gender specific guys you know um this can impact you too can be a a, a colleague a boss a mother father sibling child so as we get older you can certainly start to see we we don't tend to diagnose adult child maybe i'm thinking so, so yeah absolutely i mean at the end of the day a narcissist so the starting point for someone who ends up in a relationship with a narcissist and a narcissist their actual starting points are exactly the same they've got an intense feeling of not being good enough of not feeling worthy however the, what we call the codependent aspect of this dynamic um, and i call it a hole in your soul you recognize that you're the people pleaser as such you recognize that i'm not good enough i must do this and you're trying to please everybody because you don't obviously want that initial wound to be aggravated now the narcissist has such strong protector parts in front of the narcissist wound so to speak because you know it is trauma based it comes from childhood trauma and that can be from sibling rivalry so parents pitting siblings against each other it can be golden child it can be neglect it can be abuse any of those it is childhood trauma that's what forms a narcissist we don't actually know from a research perspective what makes someone a codependent and what makes someone a narcissist because very often the parental environment can be quite similar um, as such as well but we don't know exactly why one goes that direction and the other 
we're not born a codependent we're not born a narcissist again there's no um so far no genetic link to any of that what we do know and i've had many discussions about this is that you know narcissistic personality disorder cannot be cured and that's not because i wouldn't want to help say a narcissist heal what those wounds are but to heal you have to have someone recognize that they have a problem and very often from a narcissist perspective if they go to therapy it's not necessarily with the view they want to heal it's with the view of the facade of why they are at therapy so you know they might be in a marriage and say well i'll go to therapy so to speak because it looks like they're doing the right thing but as yet there is no cure for narcissistic personality disorder i had a really debate with somebody on facebook about this i don't normally get involved in debates on facebook but i felt so strongly about it because the the nature of what she was saying was that her partner was a narcissist and then her behavior had meant he was now no longer a narcissist and and that and i felt really strongly that someone reading that message would then think well my narcissist is still a narcissist is it something i did wrong and you know childhood trauma doesn't mean then you become a narcissist there's childhood trauma can mean you're really angry as an adult you're an addict as an adult so there's many different parameters you know narcissistic personality disorder is a very specific type of person very different to an angry adult or an addicted adult narcissists can be that as well but to actually have narcissistic personality disorder you know it is very very specific in that and again that's why education around really what a narcissist is should be more what i mean i'm very vocal on facebook and talk about it a lot and instagram and linkedin because again we have this real mis understanding it's almost like anyone who uses the word narcissist like oh not again kind of thing <laughs> but it really really denigrates those genuine victims of narcissistic abuse because it is trauma and you know and it, and it can leave you lost and broken and by society being like that in some respects about narcissists it, it isolates people even more and it makes them feel even more like a failure so that codependent not feeling good enough feels even more not good enough then yeah um, they feel like no one believes them or they think they should be over it but again they're just in that trauma response of shutting down and what would your what would your advice be to anybody out there tuning in where this is resonating or it's starting they're starting to ask themselves questions could this could this possibly be happening to me or somebody who is in the thick of a relationship of that type or has recently got out of it and is still still struggling what would your advice be so, so a couple of things i mean and the first thing is safety you know in, in anything you know i've done an advanced certification in domestic abuse and the first thing is your safety so if you are now starting to think you are in a relationship like this in an abusive relationship the number one priority here is your safety it's not kind of like right i recognize it now i'm going to leave you've got to be safe because actually the stats show more murders happen in the first seven days of leaving an abusive relationship than actually being in the abusive relationship. So we've got to be really mindful here about safety. What I would say is if you are still in that relationship is, and you are starting to wonder, then obviously you can reach out to local domestic abuse charities. I have a group on Facebook called Heal the Trauma of Narcissistic Abuse. So you can silently watch and lurk and just read other people people's stories just to know you're not on your own really and just dip your toe in the water really um, with with all of that but start photocopying 
things, you know, pensions, bank statements, things like this. You may never use it. Make sure your passport or your children's passports are in safe places. Get a shoebox, hide it wherever that may need be. As such, safety is a priority, so to speak, you know. But just start to dip your toe in it. Take your time. There's no rush necessarily for all of this. Just because you know there can be plans of actions for you to do. If you're out of that relationship, which again can be really challenging still because it doesn't just end, particularly if you have children, especially. So again, it's really looking at yourself in all of this. You can never change a narcissist. And I see so many people, myself included, um, sort of 10 years ago, feeling really angry and wanting justice and validation for what you went through. And we're always giving that energy away to the narcissist. And what I would say is bring that energy to yourself and look at what makes you feel the way you do about the way the narcissist is, not why they are behaving the way they are. It's good to have some knowledge, but I see people, literally they could have a PhD in narcissistic abuse. That's not actually gonna help you heal though. You know, we've got to bring it back to you. We've got to go within. We've got to look at what was the wound that was there initially that made me a magnet to a narcissist. That's where your power comes in. If you go within and heal that wound, doesn't matter then about the narcissist you know I could be in a room of a thousand narcissists now and it would mean nothing to me because they wouldn't trigger a wound of I'm not good enough in me because I've gone within and healed that wound myself that's where my power came from and that means then I've passed that on to my children you know my children are way more psychologically aware at 12 and 15 than I was up until my 30s you know I literally spent my 30s probably in functional freeze trauma response going about doing what I was but in a total freeze response you know my children totally understand other people's behavior is never about them it's just projection onto them and no reflection of them I didn't realize that fully till I was in my late 30s so you know the gift of your healing heals the next generation as well and creates these independent young adults such a powerful powerful message which is resonating with with me and the majority of our listeners are parents so i think that's just so so powerful to point out it is it's not selfish you healing it's no it's a gift in. it's a gift to ourselves and it's a it's a legacy gift right that absolutely yeah incredible definitely. caroline before we wrap up i'd like to ask you one last thing will you leave our audience with a bounce back invitation so what would be the either the question you would ask our listeners to reflect on or what's the challenge you would um, present them as part of their bounce back journey so i think what i would say is where are you living your life the most are you living in the past are you in the present or are you in the future because very often when we're in the present and we can recognize we are safe, our nervous system feels calmer. That moment we drift to the past, we start to feel stuff in our body. The moment we start to drift to the future and maybe that anxiety of what if this happens, what if that happens, we get those body sensations again. So really start to focus on trying to be as present as possible and just check in with yourself regularly through the day. Am I in the past? Am I in the present or am I in the future? Because the more you can live in the present, the better and calmer you will feel. Brilliant challenge. Caroline, thank you so much for sharing your incredibly inspirational story. 
your journey and also just for being such a source of wisdom on on a really important topic that I know touches a lot of people sadly in in today's world so thank you it's been invaluable um, really appreciate you giving up your time to be with us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great. Thank you. So it just remains for me to say goodbye to you, our listeners, and catch you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.